It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by RealBlueSpruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I am DJ Scruggs, along with my partner, Adam Adams. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, we had a guest on before that was fantastic, and we thought we'd bring her back, Allison Kirschbaum. Hi, Adam. Great to be here again. Hi, Allison. Um, yes, last time we had you on, we were talking, uh, as as we often do in real estate, about financing options, right? right? Critical and, piece you know, of real estate. Uh, whether it's seller carry or subject to or you know other types of exchanges. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were intrigued after talking with you a little bit more about private equity, uh, which is a term that I hear a lot, but I'm not sure I really know what it is. And it sounds like you know quite a bit about it. So why don't you kind of fill us in on... What is private equity, first of all? Well, I can't, can't, I can't claim to be the world's foremost expert on private equity. I'm, I'm not a syndication attorney. I'm, I'm not a, a CPA or anything like that. I, but I can speak to my own experience with private equity. Sure. Um, so private equity can be a confusing term when talking about uh, real estate owned and operated by smaller companies. Um, some people uh, buying real estate, their first few deals or even their first several hundred deals never really break out of the quote unquote private lender scenario mm-hmm. where they think that every deal, if they're going to, if they're not going to use their own money has to be funded by a bank and or a private lender. Private mm-hmm. equity can sometimes be used to refer to that private lender money, but the type mm-hmm. of private equity we're talking about today is through a fund. Um, okay. And most funds run by smaller companies like ours that are not publicly traded. They're private equity. That's the difference mm-hmm. between say uh, an IPO something traded on the stock market and something that we're doing uh, is the types of funds that you create through a syndication attorney or another fund management company um, are private. Right. And, and so, I mean, when I hear private equity, there's, I mean, there's gobs of them. There's, there's some giant ones on wall street that, you know, they buy up just huge portfolios of properties and, and other assets. It doesn't have to be real estate. Correct. Um, This is like a mini, mini version of that. Yeah. Hundreds of these smaller ones would equal the volume that one of those bigger private equity companies do, but it's the same exact principle. It's the same principle. Yeah. And so, but I I would, I would guess, and tell me if I'm wrong, one of the key principles is it's less sort of transaction focused and more about return focused. That's a very good way to put it. Yes. Um, Think of how you would typically find private money uh, for a real estate deal, you would go from investor to investor and pick up one investor at a time for that specific deal. Or if you're if you're really good at it and you've been at it for a while, you might email blast a list of your already vetted investors and say, hey, I've got this great deal. This is how much it pays. Whoever's interested, let me know. Private equity is like an email blast on a huge scale. Mm-hmm. So when you set up a private equity company, you set up the parameters for the types of deals that you're going to buy. You know, we're going to buy... Um, 24 unit and above multifamily in markets with 300,000 people and up in a five mile radius. Um, they're going to be class B or class C with a little bit of uh, CapEx upside or operational upside to them. You lay out all these parameters mm-hmm. and you put it in a document called a, a PPM, a private placement memorandum. Okay. And you can either use it. When you say you put it in, you mean your lawyer does, just so no one thinks you can... Correct. <laughs> uh, yes. Now, the the funny thing about PPMs, though, is that uh, even if you're not a lawyer, if you if you know how to put these things together correctly, you could theoretically do it yourself. I would not recommend it. I would no. never do that myself. But, uh, you did not is, hear that here there is on no, this podcast. There do is, not do it yourself. <laughs> there is no law. And the only reason I say this is because there is no law that states, that, at least in Colorado, that an attorney has to put together a PPM. You can use a company like... Reg D Resources, which is oh, a company okay. that we use. Um, they have a great track record of building PPMs for companies like ours for 19 years now. They've never had a successfully contested PPM that they've built for 19 years in the business, which means that
that if an investor has a problem with an investment that they've done through one of the companies they've created a PPM for, um, that person has never been able to successfully sue the investor putting together that PPM because the documents are built to such a level of specificity. Okay. Yeah. So that's the that's the downside protection. Correct. Yeah. Um, and you obviously want that because real estate, like any investing, is is risky, mm-hmm. and you need to protect yourself where where prudent. But what? What what gets the investor? I mean, what what is the investor getting out of this? Assuming they don't want to sue, <laughs> right. Presum- uh, presumably you want them to be happy to have invested oh, of course, in you. Yeah. So so what, what is it? You mentioned you sort of have deal criteria, but w- what else are you offering, or, or what what are their expectations? I guess you know that you're setting. So the parameters are just what that's also a form of downside protection because it allows the investor peace of mind to see exactly what we're buying in a fund. We don't go to them with every deal and say this is what we're buying. Do you want to invest? We say this is what we plan to buy. Do you like these parameters or not? Give us your money and we'll go spend it. So the parameters lay the groundwork. The benefits that the investor gets out of a fund depend on what the fund managers or the syndicators uh, want to offer. There are two ways to compensate an investor. You can either do uh, some form of interest, usually known as a preferred return or a PREF, very similar mm-hmm. to like what a bank would get. Uh, bank interest is essentially a form of a PREF because you have to pay your loan, whether you're making any money or not, I they see. have to get that payment. Um, and that can range anywhere between 5 and 15%. It can be it can be a huge range of interest rates that the mm-hmm. investor would get. The other way that an investor is compensated is an equity split. Um, equity splits, straight across equity splits where, say, for example, the syndicator gets half and the investor gets half are typically used for large risk, large upside deals like new developments, dirt starts, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, prefs are usually used for more long-term, more stable kinds of properties. And most common of all is a combination of a pref and an equity split. So, for example, in one of our self-storage funds, we use a 8% pref and mm-hmm. a 40% equity split to the investors and then uh, a 2% management fee that goes to the management company. So the two percent is that that's not taken out of the eight percent though. That's no the okay. the eight percent pref that goes to the investors is their return no matter what. Um, but we Got also it. get our two percent management fee like an expense. Think of the an expense for property management. It's it's just like that. So if you so let's say you have a fund that's a million dollars. So you guys are going to take out twenty thousand every year. If we have already raised one a million dollars. So, right. Yeah, yes. right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 2% come, of what you have. Correct. Yeah. Of the funds currently under management. Now, if we're in a disposition year or an acquisition year where we don't have all the money raised or we've sold some of the properties and we don't have the money under management anymore, it could be less. And this, this is different for every fund. There, there mm-hmm. are literally as many ways to set up a fund as there are people who can set them up. <laughs> and, and that's why these PPMs are so... They're not three-page documents, right? No, they're, they're, they're typically 100 pages or more. And yeah. you as an investor really want to have a PPM if you're dealing with people that you don't know very well or you're pooling money, you're dealing with more than one investor in a specific transaction. Um, the PPMs protect the investor, almost the, I'm sorry, the, the syndicator almost more than they protect the investor. Mm. Um, a syndicator can be held liable for any number of charges if a deal goes south and the investor decides to sue, unless you have a PPM or another disclosure document in place that tells the investor all the downsides that could possibly happen with their transaction. That's, yeah. that's the major reason to have a PPM. That, and obviously the fact that you don't have to email blast all of your lenders in order to find money for a deal. You have money ready to go that your investors have already decided to invest with you. All you need to do is find the property to spend it on. So I have a few questions. Uh, first, just curious, how many of these have you, have you guys set up, you and your partners? Two right now. We have another two in the works. Two, so you, two for self-storage two. and two for assisted living coming on board. And um, do they have an expiration date? Is it, does one PPM last a year or two? 
That depends. So a PPM, uh, it, it's more accurate to say fund. A PPM is part of what stru- okay, helps structure okay. the fund, yeah. So a fund can either be time-limited or it can be perpetual. And that's exactly what it sounds like. A time-limited fund has a specific time period in which we get to raise all the money, say six months or a year, to raise $15 million, which is our smallest fund right now is $15 million. Um, because of the cost involved, it doesn't make sense to, to build a smaller fund. Right. Um, and a, in a time-limited fund, you have only a specific amount of time to raise the money, and then you need to spend it in a specific period of time. You need to sell in a specific period of time, usually within five to seven years for us. All of that needs to be done. Raise the money, spend the money, sell it all off. In a perpetual fund, you can raise money for the entire life cycle of the fund. You can raise money up until the very last day, but obviously that makes it a little bit harder to actually spend the money and get some some profit off of it if you're still mm-hmm. raising money on the last day that your fund is viable. So yes, there's a time limit, but <laughs> okay. it's it's typically multiple years. For those of us so who you procrastinate, you're, you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> there, there is a chance, yes. So there's hope. two of these in place now. Yes. And uh, you said the smallest one is $15 million. Does that mean you've gotten to the $15 million or that you're able no. to go up to 15 We can go up to 15 yes. Okay, okay. And, and I, I can't give all the specifics okay. of each fund on the air sure. just because of, of no private placement rules. But uh, yes, that, that's a valid question. We have not gotten to $15 million yet because of that particular fund is too new. And um, as I understand it, and I could be totally wrong, I've talked to a few um, syndication attorneys mm-hmm. in the past. Okay, and yeah. um, And I, you're, you, you've complimented me, and now I don't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> I, I had the warm fireflies. Oh, poor Adam. <laughs> it, it, it'll come back to you. Oh, it might. It yeah. might. Well, it, I, I do have a question while Adam's thinking. Is, um, so you mentioned, you said a smaller fund. Yes. It, the costs aren't worth it. Correct. What does that mean? What should you expect in terms of costs and putting one of these together? Um, well, let me clarify what I mean by the costs aren't worth it. To us, they weren't worth it because the minimum cost to start a, a fund of almost any size with Reg D resources, which is typically, it, it's the been the cheapest provider I've found, mm-hmm. um, is $6,000. Okay. So that's whether you do a million or $15 million. Well, it, it costs us much less per dollar to just raise a bigger fund to begin with. Right, so, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so how is a a fund like this different from uh, like a real estate investment trust? Um, A real estate investment trust, I'm not entirely familiar with all the ways that they work, but the reason we chose private equity over REIT, real estate investment Mm -hmm. trust, um, is because REITs are required by law to, to, um, what do they call it? To uh, send out 90% of their cash flow to their investors, Uh, which makes it not nearly as worth it for us as syndicators. Right. And and are the, are all REITs listed, do you know? I mean, I think No, they, they are not. They're some not. are private, some are public. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you probably know one of the most famous public REITs, which is Public Storage, uh, uh-huh. which happens to be completely self-storage. It's the largest self-storage only REIT in the world, and they got returns of over 20% last year, which is why self-storage is one of my favorite asset classes. Uh, yeah, clearly. <laughs> Follow the leader. <laughs> yeah. So you've got um you said two funds now and two more in the works. Correct. What's the timeline on this and how did you sort of decide to do that and and, and, you know, from start to let's let's do a fund to we have a PPM in hand and we're out hitting up investors. What was the timeline? Like well, if you didn't have partnership changes within the company and didn't have to redo your deal structure like <laughs> we did, uh, the first fund would have been done within a month. Um, if you if you have all of your logos, all of your business plan, your deal parameters, like we talked about before, what type of property, how much, what what asset class, if you have all that drawn up before you take it to a company like Reg D Resources, mm-hmm. they state that they can get it done within a month. Um, I haven't personally seen that because mm-hmm. we haven't been quick enough on the ball for it, um, okay. but a, about a month to six weeks. And when you go out and... So now you've got the PPM in hand, mm-hmm. and you're starting to talk to investors. Mm-hmm. Are there any rules you need to follow about 
what you say to them? Ooh, great question. Yes. So that depends. That's that's a whole other can of worms because that completely depends on what type of fund you create. Just like there's a hundred types of cereal in the cereal aisle, and there's something for everybody. There's a fund for everybody. Um, the type of funds that we use are called Reg D five hundred six C funds. Um, mm-hmm. Regulation D is a type is is a class of funds. There's five hundred six B, five hundred six C, even five hundred six D now. I believe that all fall under the Regulation D um, federal mandate. And all of those, uh, except the 506C, allow different types of advertisement. There's also a, a Regulation A fund. There's a 104C fund. All of them have different regulations. But mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go into all of those. <laughs> but the reason that we picked a 506C is because um, of the point you just brought up, DJ, that we can talk to literally anybody at any time about this particular fund as long as we don't give them any specific deal parameters until we vetted them to be accredited investors. I'm sure you guys are familiar with what an accredited investor is. Yeah, but refresh refresh our memory here. So an accredited investor is somebody that has at least a million dollars of net worth excluding their personal residence and makes at least $250,000 as a single or or, $300,000 as a couple. Um, And 506C funds are special because we can post a billboard next to the highway if we'd like to. We can advertise on social media. We can hand out flyers on the street. Anything we can think of, we can advertise and say, hey, we've got this great self-storage fund up and running. Call us or, or come to our website for more information. But at that point, probably 90% of the people that we'll talk to will have to stop there because they're not accredited. We so have do you a, just pull out a, a questionnaire for them? Or? Yes, and Reg D Resources helps us with that because they have a specific investor portal that they build for us to access both a marketing website and a vetting platform. Uh, 506C oh, okay. puts the onus on the, uh, the syndicator to verify that the investors that they're talking to and giving deal specifics to, and when I say deal specifics, exactly how much money we're raising, what it's for, what the returns are going to be, and so on and so forth, um, puts the onus on us to verify that those investors are accredited to get that information. So with the deal portal, all they have to do is is sign in, like signing into your, your favorite online shopping website, basically. Put in some basic information, usually tax returns or a letter from their CPA, verifying that they're accredited. And as soon as they've done that, they automatically get the deal uh, info that they've been asking for. We don't have to even step into the process if we don't want to. Oh. Yeah. Um, there was two things that you said. Um, the first one uh, was that you said they had to be worth a million dollars, excluding their personal residence. Correct. Then you were used the word and made 200,000 but I think Oh, I'm sorry. I, I mean or, or. Yes. Okay. Either, either one or the yeah. other. Yeah. So they can so as a couple 300 grand a year mm-hmm. or 200 by themselves. 250. 250 by yes, themselves. Yes, 250 by themselves. Okay. 300 as a couple. Okay. And then the other thing is that um, they might not need to be making any income if they're as long as they're worth a million dollars. Correct. Yes. Without Excluding their personal their without personal yes. Okay. Um do I'll, you go ahead. do you um I, I'm just curious, have you found a, I, I think I know the answer to this, but is, is there a, a, a way you found is sort of the, the, the ripest place to find investors or, you know, a method that, is it just going to meetups and do you advertise at all? I, I'm just curious how you get, how you find investors. Um, we're still kind of figuring out what our absolute best way to find investors is because our funds specifically are so new. But from the private lenders that we've had before that have also decided to be part of the fund, we have met those people through meetups or through personal connections, through referrals, family and friends, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a relationship yeah. business. It is. It definitely is. And yeah. that's that's another beauty of the 506C is uh, we can use broker-dealers that are licensed to sell our fund as an asset oh, class that's right. to, uh, to through certified financial advisors, you know, whoever it might be. So it's not just us going out and promoting our fund anymore. It's our broker-dealers as well. And can you – they must have, like, 
I don't know. I mean, how do you get on the radar of a broker dealer? They must have events or something like that. Well, with us, it's through Reg D resources because they have pre-vetted oh. relationships with broker dealers. Um, otherwise, I I don't know. I guess there must be a, a convention or, or a newsletter or something that we could use to contact them. <laughs> There's money out there everywhere. Oh, there is. The world the world is full of money, and the more deals I do, the more I realize this. The world is full of money. You just have to get a deal good enough and an operations team smart enough to prove to that money that you're worth their investment. And I want to just, well, I mean, I mentioned relationships earlier. Mm-hmm. That's like top of mind for me right now because we're, we're trying to close on a transaction and we were working with this lender who was just very flaky, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and just like, I got a very bad vibe yes. from that guy. And I don't know that he was going to scam us or anything, mm-hmm. but I just didn't like working with him, you know? And so we found someone else. Oh yeah. Vibes are so important. Always trust your gut. Always yeah. trust your gut. Yeah. So, um... That's great. Well, this is this has been really really helpful. I mean, you know, private equity again. It's it's one of those words you see in the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you may hear about, but it's it's fun to get a deep dive, and and it really opens up your thinking. Like, well, I could raise fifteen million. I this could. Is, yeah, this is something that the average person can do. It's not just for Wall Street types. Even um, more complicated finance transactions, like raising money through a bond issue, that's mm-hmm. something that we're working on next, and it's beyond the scope of this interview. But mm-hmm. um, even raising money through bonds, which is considered something far too big and expensive for private investors by most people, is within your reach if you have the right banking contact. Wow, wow. Well, that this has been terrific. So, Allison, where can um, where can folks find you if they want to reach out to you? Well, for our uh, self-storage fund specifically, we're at Inc. Investing, I-N-K, like ink in a pen, inkinvesting.com. Uh, and on our assisted living side, we're at Prima Senior Living, P-R-I-M-A, seniorliving.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time, Allison. Thank you. Thank you.